Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. Good to be with you today. We are continuing in part two today of isms and schisms. If you're just joining this week, we are working our way through an overview of church history and how dealing with all the major isms, which is what we talked about last week, uh, that we have known over the years or may or may not be familiar with, can have application upon us today. Yeah. In Um, fact, there are still effects of these things. Yeah. It's it's important to remember we're not just studying this so we have knowledge meaning church history in general, uh, but rather that the knowledge we gain from this will help us grow and learn in our modern day as Christians, as people seeking to grow in Christ and to be more like Him. Do we not say that the generations to come might know? Yes. You know what I'm saying? So do we not say um, at, at the beginning of every one that we want people to know of the gospel? Well, if we don't talk about the past or even where we're at right now, I think that's all part of it. There's an application that I, I don't want to be guilty of what we actually pointed out that one of these isms did. Mm-hmm. We pointed out in the last podcast. But the Paul said of the Old Testament that some of the things that happened there, he was speaking specifically of, of Old Testament saints and the, the people of God in the Old Testament, the earthly people of God, the Jewish people. And he said, um, these things happened to them as examples that we might not fall into idolatry as they did or fall into lustful things as they did. And I think we can say the same thing in church history. Uh, that application is that mm-hmm. when we look back on church history, they happen. And we can we know about them, so we can avoid them. Yep. And if we don't know about them, we may not. We we may very well not avoid them, or not see where they're still influencing us yeah. at the very least today. Okay, so we're going to jump back in here, and the, we're just going to start right in. Uh, the first one is Unitarianism. Again, what is and who did and where did it come from? One thing the thoughtful listener will notice is that we're increasing in – there's an increase in the degree of error hmm. or the degree of trouble. As opposed to last week. Mysticism at least held an attachment to Scripture to some degree. Right. So did pietism. When you get to Unitarianism, so we're talking about a, a, a exponential jump. Mm. Uh, ideologically and theologically. There was a fellow by the name of Socinus and, uh, who came along uh, 1700s, and he uh, raised some difficult questions for the Church of England, uh, hard questions to answer, things regarding the deity of Christ, if this is so, then this, what about this, depravity and the nature of man. Uh, he did not believe that there was any atonement in Christ's death. And what it's kind this, of important, <laughs> really, and these things this turned into Unitarianism. Now, the, the the Anglican Church, the Church of England, held to what were called the Thirty Nine Articles. To be a part of the Church of England, and certainly to be a part of leadership in the Church of England, you had to hold to the Thirty Nine Articles. They were doctrinal statements, good doctrinal statements. Um, but. A person like Socinus and later a fellow by the name of Lindsay, his last name was Lindsay, uh, thought, this, this is not necessary. Can't we just believe the Bible? <laughs> Sounds familiar, We right? still hear that today. But the problem with that is you can say you believe the Bible but interpret it incorrectly. Right. Not 
traditionally or accurately. Well, uh, the Parliament says to Lindsay, no, the 39 Articles stay. You may not stay, but the 39 Articles stay. So Lindsay leaves the Anglican Church and establishes the Unitarian Church. This happened in 1774. So now we're right about the time of the Revolution in the United States. Um, Speaking of that timeline. Yeah. Now, here's a lesson that comes out later in 1779. Parliament actually reversed their position and Mm. said, well, you don't – all you have to do is believe the Bible. Thus the slippery, slippery – that's how that slippery slope goes. Exactly. So so Unitarianism basically came to universalism, uh, not a belief in any election of any any stripe. Right. And since there's no atonement in the death of Christ, there's no need to believe in his substitutionary work because that's not what it was. So why even follow Christ? That's the question that always comes to my mind with these people – uh, these individuals is why didn't you just do what you wanted to do? It seems like it'd be a whole yeah, lot more simple. Why do you have to attach the Bible to it at all? Yeah, or just do what you it. want to do. Just yeah, but man's not depraved, so you know he's not totally depraved. He's not. He doesn't have original sin. Uh, Christ is not God. You know. I, I think. I think I may know the answer. Now I don't know if it's the answer, but I think a a, a reason why is I think we like to be in control. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we really do. We like to be in control of, and, and if we can control the religion that we are in, or the people around us, however you want to look at it, yeah. then there's some satisfaction out of that. Well, simply, but we, still we move from that. Yeah, man always wants to have the last word. I mean, what you really come to is the old uh, Garden of Eden uh, conundrum. Right. Uh, if you take of this tree, of the fruit of this tree, you become like gods. Nothing's changed. Knowing good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing for yourselves what's good and evil. So the lie, the lie. Well, what this led to and what further developed was what has been called modernism. Uh, sort so of basically na- those follow one another. Cause in, in, as we're studying here, this is the second one we're going to look at, modernism. Right. So yeah. basically you're saying Unitarianism and modernism follows Unitarianism. Right. Thanks for clarifying okay. that. The natural result of Unitarianism, really, when you think about it, modernists denied the supernatural. And we're talking about modernists. We're talking about modernists within Protestantism, within mm-hmm. larger Protestantism. Uh, denied biblical miracles, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ. So, so more scientific? Uh, well, I mean, it was influenced by um, rationalism. Mm-hmm. So during this time, you have rationalism. Right. And so reason outweighs scripture. That's always been the struggle for the church, especially the academic uh, branch of the church, and is that. We want to sound plausible to right. the educational world, to the philosophical world. We don't want to sound stupid. We don't want to sound far <laughs> and out there. But little, it never stops. Yeah. It keeps going. Uh, the exaltation of reason over special revelation. There's general revelation, but that really has not much meaning because special revelation has been removed as being important. The, the resurrection is denied, the resurrection of mm-hmm. Christ. and um, Because that's illogical. Yeah, and the Bible's not inerrant. So you don't have an inerrant, objective source of truth. So um, That's still going on today. I mean, when you look at it, I think if you look at what's going on in regards to the social, you know, 
what I'm trying to f- say here. There's a social war that's going on. Yeah. Cultural the church, war. Cultural yeah. war. The, the church is wanting to not sound like they're mean people, you know? <laughs> yeah. So So they say things that puts them on the edge you know what I'm saying? They, I mean, we, they don't even want what clear. we say to be acceptable, right? Yeah, and 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 I understand that Christians have not, when it comes to racial things, when it comes to dealing with people with you know sins that are different than maybe the mainstream sins that we right. all think just, about, just normal adultery yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I do think there's been a time where Christians did not respond well. So to to be clear on that, I think is important. But all I'm saying is. We like to make sure people can accept us. The problem is, is that ultimately. They're not going to. Right. Yep. They're not. They're, they're, they, and I say they, I mean the culture. Right. The world. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus said, the world hated me before it hated you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so what we see here is this ongoing influence of heretics and heresy and their error. It's, it has an ongoing influence. That's why we have to be attuned to it. The, what one, and, and what one generation rejects and fights against, the other generation tends. This is not a universal truth, but tends to accept. And we mm. see that throughout history. Yeah. Well, um, we're seeing that now. No, actually. no, no. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of the way it goes. And, and that's why we're exhorted in Jude to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And there is a the faith once for all delivered mm-hmm. to the saints. And this is the thing we tenaciously, not optional. Yeah, we tenaciously yeah. hold on to this. We must. So, do you feel like modernism? Is, and I've kind of drawn this out a little bit, but do you feel like modernism is affecting us as a church today? Oh yeah, I think there's no doubt that that's so. I think, I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention certainly fought through that in the um, in the 70s and 80s with a conservative resurgent. Now they're fighting through some other things, but right. um, plus but, their own skeletons but, in their own closet. <laughs> yeah, when you send your unconverted students to um, European schools that have bought into rationalism and have bought into universalism and have rejected uh, the inerrancy of Scripture and the deity of Christ and major doctrines and get them trained there so they can come back and teach. Now you've got unconverted people right. trained by unconverted men to teach schools and to undermine the very faith we say we're seeking to build. So, Okay, so Unitarianism, Modernism, which when we say modernism, I think people need to understand that it's not necessarily like right now. We're talking about at that it's time. It's the modern, more modern right. era. Correct. Yeah. This is a big one, the next one coming up. Drum roll. <laughs> Pentecostalism. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a, a change in direction, but the importance of biblical truth still holds here. Back in the uh, late – in the 1700s, there was a fellow by the name of Edward Irving – Interesting biography, if you could look that up. I think Banner Truth has a biography about him. It may be, it's either by Dallimore or Ian Murray, I'm not sure which. And uh, it's been 20 years since I read it, 25 years since I read it. But um, he, uh, he did not officially start Pentecostalism. He, we can't say this is the man who started, but he right. did lay the groundwork. He, right. A lot of what he did sort of. But is that not the case? I mean, as we've been studying church history, I feel like. We've seen that a lot. Yeah, we do. You do. Yeah, you people see, kind of start you, this thing, well, and then even the in, thing in takes the Reformation, off with other people. You see, yeah. um, uh, Luther sort of kicked right. it off, but there were a lot of guys who right. laid the groundwork. Right. 
Well, in this case, uh, you have a man who's a Presbyterian, very gifted, very gifted academically. Uh, he was quite an orator at the age of 13. He went to the University of Edinburgh. By the time he's 16, he has his master's degree. He's licensed for the ministry in the Presbyterian Church at age 23. He's a pastor by age 30 mm. of a very prominent church. Uh, so he, he um, very gifted. But then he latches on to premillennialism, which kind of was having a, a resurgence. And uh, he translated a Spanish book, had it translated. Uh, it was a book on premillennialism, and that became kind of a bestseller. Premillennialism, just a short snippet so our listeners understand what you mean by that. Yeah, well, the premillennial view of the coming of Christ, that Christ will come in a secret rapture, that he will establish a kingdom, sit on the throne and reign from Israel. And to some extent, people believe certain Old Testament institutions will be reestablished Got laws. It. Okay. And, Levitical laws and certain. We things, just use things, and I want to make sure our listeners are understanding yeah. con- context there. Yeah. Okay. Premillennialism has morphed, yeah, and and it's not all that it was, but depending on who you talk to. But so anyway, he um, he came to believe that apostolic gifts belong to the Church of all ages, which uh, uh, which are still brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who disagree. Not necessarily apostolic, but in regards to you know speaking in tongues and things, right. we disagree on Sign that. Gifts. Who who know Christ? Yeah, and, and this yeah. is well, even revelatory gifts like revelation and writing scripture, and prophecy. Yeah. Well, he he believed and he taught that if there's no tongues or prophecy or prophesying, there's that's because of a lack of faith. That's very familiar mm. to us among Pentecostalism today. Uh, and interestingly enough, he was never. Uh, he never prophesied as such, but he was still kicked out of the Presbyterian Church. He he said that the coming of Christ was imminent. Um, that uh, so this uh, uh, this charismatic revival broke out in Scotland, and uh, it was there that the first supposedly the first case of tongues in the modern era came about. Uh, there were two trials for Irving among the Presbyterians, uh, church trials and uh, tr- denominational trials, and he was ultimately uh, defrocked and removed from the uh, Presbyterian church. Uh, now, to say all this, he died early. He was in his 40s when he died. But he had a tremendous influence. Now, as things tend to do, it died down. But Pentecostalism came into its own in uh, the 19th century in particular, and uh, late 19th century. And, and don't most we're not going to go there right now. Deep but. Pentecostals believe in oneness, which uh, would be well, not the Trinity. Oneness Pentecostals. Right. There would be some Pentecostals who wouldn't necessarily hold to that. But typically, yeah. Pentecostalism held to a oneness view of the, of the Godhead, that Jesus only right. is also how it's – that he is God, that uh, there is not a Trinity. Right. Uh, but uh, Christ is God, and that's that's the end of it. So – but um, this fellow, uh, um, Edward Irving, was sort of the precursor to sort of laid the groundwork for modern-day Pentecostalism and for a move away from the authority of Scripture, the, the, the authority of objective truth, the diminishing of signed gifts, revelatory gifts, and that, therefore, the ability to receive revelation from God, that hyper-spiritual state in which people receive Revelations, or they speak in tongues, or they prophesy. This, he was sort of the precursor to all this. So, in the saying, modern era. so saying all that, 
some people listening might be saying, well, I know some Pentecostals and they love Jesus. Why, why do you bring this out? Well, I bring it out because I think folks need to be aware. First of all, it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. So what we Which see we keep saying <laughs> charismatic Pentecostalism is not new. Second, that uh, Pentecostalism – I don't like using the word never, right. but almost never, virtually never – stays just a matter of an intense looking for a good work of God, a great work of God in you, but it, it moves into, morphs into things like holy laughter and other things yep. that, so um, if we study it, if we look at it, we see there are grave problems with Pentecostalism, and there are theological problems. There are hermeneutical problems. There are experiential problems. Well, it's and just problems. There's also what has come with it is this idea that your faith is somehow weak or not good or not mm-hmm. right um, if you don't do these things. If, so if, if it hasn't happened, yeah, your your faith lists There's something lacking. So therefore, it brings into question the gospel, right. which then which we simply just say if we put our faith in Christ, He does the work. The Reformed and even Puritan view of sanctification has always been that work of God that is ongoing in the life of the believer by which he effectually brings people Mm. to the likeness of Christ, which is culminated in eternity, either at death or in the second coming of Christ, in which we will see him and be like him and see him as he is. This is genuine sanctification. This is what we pursue, holiness, the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. It's not attached to these experiences, to these man-made levels of achievement that people call us to that are not biblical. So if our listeners are engaging with people on that level, that's where they need to go. Mm. And if your brother believes that you know the tongues are, have not ceased, which we have people mm-hmm. be sensational, yeah. sensationalism or continuation, yeah, that's continuation a among orthodox people. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. among the orthodox people, that's where we need to get. And 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 I want to encourage our listeners because if they can come to an agreement that this is not in addition to the gospel, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This is not something that is a defining measure of your faith and your your relationship with Christ. Then I think that's where the discussion needs to be had within that in that realm. Right. There's some good stuff out there. Certainly, you want to. Uh, I recommend Strange Fire by John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. It's his. It's his. And he's thorough. a hard line, so people need to know that. Yeah. 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 And he references the works who of dis- that disagree with him, even people that he appreciates their fellowship yep. he disagrees with and he i think he's gracious to them he just disagrees with them and right. he makes it clear why but uh you can see the works that he refers to in that it's very well documented so that would be something yeah. well this has been good I, I i'm glad we're doing this sometimes it's interesting i get a lot of questions if i start going down this road about well, what about all these isms we don't need isms well that's why we're looking at the isms and the schisms because yeah. they happen for a reason and if we're not careful they will happen again or they are come happening from? again where did they go mm-hmm. how they've influenced us today absolutely yeah. well we do thank people for joining us because day week in and week out um, our goal is to make sure that you can see and learn the gospel Yes. And all its totality, who it is in the person right. of Christ, and, and then transfer that to the next generation. Yep. And that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at the past, the present, and even the future yep. of what is to come. Yep. 
Absolutely. For sure. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. Music